0: Can everybody hear me? Okay. Okay. Cool. So we're going to be talking about John 15. That's where we're going to be. In John chapter 15. And uh, this is this is really really interesting. This is about abiding. Okay. It's about abiding. So we're going to learn a little bit about what it is to abide. Okay. So in the 1970s and early 1980s, the, De- the Detroit car makers, they were pushing to meet deadlines, they were trying to get cars out on time, but you know what, they really didn't care if they were good cars or if they were well-built. So the quality of their cars suffered. So at the same time, the Japanese manufacturers, they started you know sending their cars that were well-built and they, they were quality cars. And they were, in a lot of cases, cheaper. And so those things were selling like hotcakes. And so Detroit's wondering, well, what can we do to get you know reclaim some of the car market? And so they came up with this slogan, Ford did in 1981 to try to regain consumer confidence. Does anybody know what the slogan is? Anybody? No. Quality is job one, and they kept that slogan for like 17 years. But quality is oh no until 2016. So so quite a while. Quality is job one. They're they're trying to woo people back to themselves to say hey 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 pick us. We're all about quality too, right? And so they were trying to get people back to themselves, and so. When we start losing some of the some of the things that we have in Christ Jesus, then he then 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 God draws us back to Him, as well, by wooing us, by bringing us back, by calling to us, and that's what we're going to talk about. Abiding is job one. Abiding is job one. So in John chapter fifteen, <clears throat> verse nine. So what we're going to do is goes from we're going to go from verses 9 through 17 and then we might back up and take a look at verses 1 through 8 you know before that um you know well, after that the verses preceding we'll take a look at them afterwards so anyway okay <clears throat> so verse 9 as the father loved me I also have loved you abide in my love so you're loved right that's what that verse says you're loved right big deal right so this doesn't it sound kind of flat you're loved I mean, everybody's heard that, Jesus loves you, right? It's just kind of like a common saying, almost a slogan. Doesn't that seem like it's a little flat, a little dead, a little dry? No, 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 because we we got to look closer at the verse. That's not what this is about. You see, it's not just that Jesus loves you. If it was just that, but you know If it was just that, it would still be enough. It would still be more than we deserve. But it's that he loves you with the same love that the Father loved him. The same love. Okay, everybody say that with me. Same love. Same love. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, right? They're together, right? Same essence. In Colossians 2.9, it says, In Christ was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. They existed together in oneness and perfect harmony from eternity past. They always had the same heart, the same thoughts, the same mindset, the same goals, the same... They were so close, so tight, right? It doesn't get any closer like that. Jesus said, I am in the bosom of the Father. I'm in the Father's heart not even a hint of discord or unappreciation, nothing like that, right? Just perfect oneness and harmony. And the love that they had together, that's the exact same love that Jesus has for you. You are so loved. If you could, like, like put love on a meter, on a gauge, you know, and, and, and see, like, where, where it goes, you know, to the green, to the yellow, to the red zone, you know what I mean? Like a like a tachometer or something like that, it would peg out the gauge. There isn't a gauge that would that would that could show all the love that God has for you. It. it would peg it out, it would break the gauge. If we could just see Jesus' love for you, it would blow your doors off. As close as the Son was to the Father's heart, that's as close as you are to the Son. There was no space between the Father and Son. And there is no space between Jesus and you. That's how close he wants you. He paid to get you that close. And He doesn't want, you know, you to be further away. He wants you to be near Him. He went to the cross because of His love for the Father, and obedience to the Father. He sure did. But He also went to the cross because He loves you, to redeem you to Himself. So Galatians 2.20 says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So this is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul, Right? The rough and tumble, the rugged Paul that goes to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. And he, he's like breaking down in tears here, saying that, you know what, the Son of God loved me. It's, this is personal to Paul. Let it be personal to you, too. So Jesus gave his life to purchase you out of the slave market of sin so you could be free. He loves to see his people free. He just really loves that. He doesn't want to constrain them in a tight little box where they feel like their hands are tied and they can't be themselves. That's not Jesus. He wants you to be free. And if that's all he got out of it is just to see you set free and that was all he ever got, that would be enough. He just loves to see you free. Then he also wants you to be with him. He purchased you because he loves you and there's nothing that he would have not done for you. So, it's like this. There's no price that he wouldn't pay. So, just imagine like in heaven that there was an auction about the souls of mankind. And when the price was announced that the price to redeem the souls of mankind is the life of God's own Son, Jesus raised his little bidding cue without a hesitation. He didn't even hesitate. He knew it would cost his life and he didn't hesitate. He saw your need. He saw my need. And he came willing to save us, even though he knew it would cost his life. There's no price that he wouldn't have paid for you. He paid all. And he did it not for the world. He did it for you. For you. That's verse 9. As the Father has loved me in the same way I've loved you. That's the big idea. The same love. So application here, the application for this verse is know that you're loved. So this is a huge major truth. If you don't know that you're loved, then you really don't know who you are. Isn't that amazing? This is so big. If you don't know that you're loved, then you really don't know who you are yet. This is why so many people, like, run through identity crisis. You know, in middle school, they're, you know... um, you know, skaters, and in high school they're in the punk scene, and in college they're, so, or whatever, you know, or maybe they're jocks, or maybe they're intellectuals, or whatever. And who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I so much like the color black, I want to paint my lips black and do, you know, black finger, and, and I want to wear all the-. Who does that? Nobody does that unless there's an outside influence. They're just trying to fit in with the group that they've chosen to fit in with. They're like, you know what, I really want these people to like me, and if I do what they do, if I look how they look, then maybe they'll like me. They're searching for their identity. Because they don't know that they're loved. They're trying to be accepted. They're they're conforming so that they can be accepted and be loved. But if we only knew that you are so loved by God, then you could start learning who you really are. We could start learning who we really are. Look, God made you to be unique. You're not supposed to be like somebody else. After you, He broke the mold. He didn't want two of you. He just wanted one of you. If there were two of you, He would devalue you. But you are one of a kind. You are special You are unique and valuable. The Bible calls you a masterpiece of God. He didn't mess up in making you. He did not. He made you how he wanted you. And he made you special. So the big idea is you are loved with the same love that the Father and the Son have together. You are loved with that same love in the hugest way imaginable. It just it doesn't get any bigger than that. That's the grace part. Jesus came and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's a truth part to it also, and that's the second half of verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Then he gives a command, Abide in my love. Why would would he give this command? Didn't he just say that I love you so much that you can't even even blow your doors off if you ever figure it out? Didn't he just say that? Yeah. I'm, but, so doesn't that mean well now I'm saved now I can just do whatever I want to and God's still gonna love me and I'm I'm always gonna experience His love no matter what I do isn't that the, no that's not the thing that's a fairy tale edition of Scripture here's the truth that this this truth has been under attack by Satan for a long time God loves you no matter what but if you don't abide in Christ's love then that'll hinder your experience of, of His love he did, it's not like Jesus is like Oh you did a good job today. I love you today. Oh you did something wrong. I hate you I hate you today. Oh I love you. I hate you. I, no, that's not God. that is not Jesus. He loves you the same every single day. No matter what you've done, the love is always there. The question is what we experience is love. That's what the abiding is about. There's things that we can do that'll hinder our experience of Jesus love, right? And, then we can, and when that happens, if those pile up, we can drift further and further away from God and eventually fall away from the faith. Jesus, and is that possible? Absolutely. Jesus said many will fall away from the faith in that day. So he still loves us, but can we? but there's times when we don't experience his love, right? So I fear God too much to gloss over this, and I love you guys too much to withhold it from you. So Jesus said, abide in my love. He gave it as a command because it's so necessary. Everybody say necessary. There's nothing you need to do to be loved. There's nothing you can do to be loved. Spiritual birth is something that God did for you when you were dead in sin. You can only respond when He gives it to you. And so He gives it to you and He gives you that love and He loves you, loves you, loves you. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. When you were the look at this, when you were the most detestable point of your existence, the filthiest you have ever been, steeped in sin, hating God, hating others, when you were that bad, the worst person you have ever been in your entire life, that's when Christ loved you and He died to save you. So, is He going to love you any less now, after He's given you new birth and after He's been working on your heart? Is He going to love you less now? Is He going to stop loving you? No, He loves you the exact same. There's no decrease to that. And so if you'll think back to when you first experienced Christ's love and forgiveness, nothing's changed. He still loves you that same amount. But we've got Christians all over the place that are falling away from the faith because they've never been taught the simple truth. They wake up one day and then they say, I can't feel God's love. I guess I must have imagined it. And then they move on and put Christianity behind them. And they don't, they don't walk with God anymore. So here's the truth. If you keep my commands, then you'll abide in my love. Look, Jesus doesn't throw a rule book at us and say, you do this or I'm going to hate you. No, nothing like that. Instead, he shepherds us along the way. He teaches us little by little as we walk with him. He wants to walk with us. He doesn't throw a rule book at us. Just like good parents, they guide their children towards good behavior, right? Good, good manners, good work ethic, stuff like, stuff like that. So like you grow into maturity, right? This is that's called disciplines from the root word disciple. It's from it's like taking a child and teaching them little by little how to do something well, right? And so, and so parents do that with their kids over the course of like twenty years to teach the, you know to teach their child to be like them to live life how they've learned how to live it and the, that kind of wisdom. Discipline, discipline is such a like negative word these days. You know, you hear people saying like, "You wouldn't discipline your child over that, would you?" as if it's like punishment like discipline equals beating the child no 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 that's not what discipline is discipline is teaching the child the good way right it's not lashing out in anger that is not discipline children are going to mess up and we're god's children we're going to mess up it's just the way it works we we get to spiritual maturity and even there you know paul says i'm i'm the chief of sinners but god what he does is it says like this <clears throat> when we do things that he's not pleased with so, in, in, in your home when you were growing up, if you did something that was wrong, you knew it was wrong, you hit your brother, you hit, hit your sister, something like that, your parents would probably like, send you to the corner. Why do they do that? To get your attention. Just to let you know something you did was wrong, and, and, we're, and we need to teach you a better way. So they send you to the corner to get your attention. And then they make it a teachable moment where they say, okay, now let's sit down and talk about this. And then they teach you why what you did was wrong, and you come up with the plan on how to not do that wrong again. Okay, so that's what happens with God that's how, that's how he guides us too when you mess up and he knows you're going to mess up when you break a family rule of the kingdom of heaven then he uses it as a te- teachable moment he puts you in the spiritual corner what, is that, what does that look like we stop experiencing Christ's love Jesus withholds his happy face that's supposed to get our attention so that he could use it as a teachable moment that's him putting us in the corner so he can teach us a better way it's not that your parents stopped loving you when they put you in the corner. No, they, they loved you that whole time. And it's not that Jesus stops loving us when we don't experience His love. He loves us the whole time. It's just He's trying to get our attention. That's it. So He can, so can use this as a teachable moment. Another way to look at this is kind of like this. When we come to Christ, we experience a river of God's love. It is just amazing. Something so different than we've ever experienced before. Someone talks about it and says... Uh, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. It's like this river of love just comes crashing down on us and it's the, it's the most awesome thing in the world. But over time, that river can kind of get blocked by a dam. And then we stop experiencing God's love. So what's the dam made of? What would that dam be? Small pieces, nothing significant in and of itself. Telling a little white lie looking at things you shouldn't. Self-gratification. Maybe you used somebody to get what you wanted. Maybe you didn't value somebody. Maybe you listened to gossip or spread gossip. Maybe you domineered somebody who was weaker than you. Or you just hurt somebody. Those things are, are wrong. But we do them anyway because you know what? They're just little wrong things. right? Everybody does them. But each one adds a little stick or a little log to the to, to the river of God's love that's coming down to us. Until, until eventually it's all... it's So many of those have piled up that it's all blocked up and then one day we shake our heads and we wait, kind of shake ourselves out of our spiritual you know stupor or slumber and we're like, wait, I, I can't feel God's love. So how do you undo that? What do you do when your river's not flowing? Well, you give of the dam, right? So when I was a kid, we had a stream... And there were some times when we wanted a pond, and so we would go and fill in, you know, this one part of the stream, and then it would fill up to be a pond. And then later the dam would kind of fall, and the pond would go away, and we'd just have a stream again. And so if you want the river of God's love to flow again, you just have to get rid of the dam. How do you do that? Piece by piece, stick by stick. It's it's really a pretty simple process. You just get on your knees before God, and you say, Go, God, what is stopping me from experiencing your love? What is it? You know, search me, O God. Know my thoughts. Try my heart, see if there's any, you know, wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to show you what's wrong, what what it is that's stopping the flow of His love. He still loves you so much; it's just you're not experiencing His love. And so, some of those things need to get taken out of the way, stick by stick. How do you know what they are? He'll tell you. He wants you to experience His love. You just go to Him and you ask Him. He will let you know. It's not a secret. He will He will let you know. You've been loved the entire time. It's just there's some things he wants you to deal with. And so he's getting your attention by putting it in the corner. And so you could get back into the flow of his love. That's the reason why Jesus taught the disciples to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. It's the daily maintenance that removes sticks from the stream of God's love to keep the experience of his love flowing. So big idea number one, you're loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son. So know that you're loved in the hugest way imaginable. And number two, even though God's love never fails, your experience of His love can be blocked if you don't live His way. So we have to abide in His love, right? So what's the reason for this? What, what's what's the good news? If I do this, what's going to happen? That's in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, the things that we just talked about. These things I have spoken to you. Oh, we didn't read verse 10. So, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy would remain in you, and that your joy would be full. So the neat thing about that joy, um, joy is the reason. That's the reason for this. This is cheerfulness, delight, or joy. We do this for the joy of it. If you would like more joy in your life, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just think about this. Do you want more joy in your life? More cheerfulness in your life? That is something that that is really it's it's that's really awesome. But it's not about having more joy and cheerfulness. It's about being full of joy and cheerfulness. This this word oh, it, it means full to the top. It's like a cup that you filled up all the way, and so now it's ready to overflow. That's the amount of joy that. Jesus wants to give you. So what's the big idea here? Jesus' joy becomes your joy, and it's full to the top. Everyone say, full to the top. Full to the top. So the application, if you abide in Christ's love, then you will have joy full to the top. So some people think that Jesus was a stick in the mud, you know, like he was a drag or a joy kill. But you know, Jesus was full of joy. He even cracked jokes. (laughs) They made parties for him. What was one of his jokes? When he was talking to the Pharisees about John the Baptist, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A man, clothed in soft garments? You know, this is obviously their sarcasm and It was funny, right? Kids and non-religious people loved to be around him. Just the everyday folk thought he was great. He was full of joy. He didn't lack any. He was full to the top. Why? Because he was in, it's in verse 10 there, because he was in constant, perfect communion with God the Father. By the way, humor was God's idea. Some people, I don't know, some people think, oh, you should you know never have fun in church. That's not hey, humor was God's idea. He's the one who made people funny. It was, his, it was his idea. He invented it. I just I just think it's pretty cool, and I think it's I think it's you know great to laugh, and I think we can bring that in church. That's just fine. But anyway, sin disrupts our relationship with God the Father and the Son, Christ Jesus. Jesus had no sin, so there was no disruption in his relationship with the Father. That's why his joy was always full. As long as we have the stream of of His love flowing down on us, we're abiding in His love, our joy will be full also. It's not a might be full, this is a will be full. So Jesus tells us how to get it. Abide in my love. He received love and joy as as a result of staying in constant communion with the Father. And we do it the same way by staying in constant communion with Jesus. If we abide in Jesus and Christ's love, then we'll have joy. And a joy will be full to the top. And so why is that important? Because it makes us free, right? When you're loved, then you feel accepted and you don't have to try to be accepted. But and when you're loved by the sovereign God, you don't have to worry about anything. He provided He provides for you, protects you, He Guides you, He blesses you. So you can just be yourself. You can be free to be who you are. Right? to figure out who you really are because he loves you no fear of failure no fear of the future no fear of others no fear of being judged no fear of being ridiculed none of that you can just be loved and just find out who he made you to be it's kind of like this everybody has that empty hole in their heart that longs for and needs acceptance but when you're loved and accepted by God then that then, then the hole is full there's no more hole anymore you're full to the top so number one, he he wants to see you free, just free to be you. Then number two, because it strengthens you to overcome the struggles of life. So Nehemiah says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Your strength and my strength to overcome adversity, whatever the, the things go, going on in our life are that seem like they're out of control or we, we are having a hard time getting through or not seeing the results that we want, stuff like that. Our ability to overcome that adversity is directly related to how full of joy we, we are. It just really is. So it strengthens us to overcome the struggles of life. When, when we're abiding in Christ's love and we have our joy full, then you know what? It doesn't really matter what's going on around us because we have joy in our heart. Then number three, the sweetness of, the sweetness of your life is produced only when you abide in Christ's love. So when you know you're loved uh, and you do whatever it takes to stay in that love relationship, when you abide in Christ, your life couldn't be sweeter. And, you know, others will be drawn to you, kind of like a shiny car in the middle of a crash derby contest, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to go after the shiny car and get it. <laughs> Everybody wants what you've got. When, when you know, everything, everything around is just looking like a mess, and you're the one who's bebopping through life with joy, people scratch their head and wonder, what do you have? Because whatever you've got, that's what I want. But you know what's spiritually stinky? Something that's spiritually stinky is trying to do the Lord's work without the Lord. That's spiritually stinky. (laughs) It puts people off. It pushes them away from Christ. And sometimes we get so caught up with, you know, serving God or trying to do, you know, God's will, that we mistreat people and think it's okay. It's not okay. It's stinky. And the interesting thing about stinkiness is (laughs) when you're stinky, you're the last one to know it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you've become acclimatized to your own stinkiness, right? To your own stench. And by the time you get a whiff of your own smell, guess what? Everybody else already knows about it. And it's and it and anyway, you've already probably driven everybody else away that was near you. Have you ever done that? Like you get home after a long day, or something like that, and, and, and you like smell your own armpit and you're like, Oh wow. <laughs> That's a lot worse than what I thought. <laughs> everybody else knew it already, but <laughs> So big idea, number one, know that you're loved in the hugest way possible. Number two, even though God's love never fails, sometimes our experience can be blocked. So abide in his love. And then number three, if you abide in Christ's love, then his joy will fill you to the top. Verse 12 and 17 are really similar here, so I'll go ahead and read one and the other. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. So when God touches your heart, it's easy to love Him back. You know the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, Hey, that is easy. He is so good to me. Of course I'm going to love Him in return. I How could I do anything but love Him in return? Right? He's always good to me. But those other people? Now that's a different story. Those people it is difficult to love. God doesn't hurt us or offend us or ridicule us or sin against us. But those other people do. Sometimes church people can even hurt us. So Jesus makes it crystal clear. Love one another. Why is this such a high priority to Jesus? Because God's heart is always completely towards reconciliation. He hates division of any kind. Between him and, him and mankind. Between, you know, mankind it's, it's between two people. He hates that. Anything that's like A division, a wall—he hates that. He's all about reconciliation. He wants people brought back together. And so, what he's really asking us in this is—he's saying, "Be me to them." Would you say that was me? Be me. Be me to them. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, they're stinky. Yeah, they're terrible people. Yeah, they're unlovable. Yeah, they are dirtbags. But you know what, I loved you when you were unlovable, when you were a dirtbag. When you were in the worst filthiness of your entire life, I still loved you so much that I gave my life for you. So I'm asking you to love them. Just like I demonstrated my love for you, I'm asking you to demonstrate my love, yeah, for those dirtbags, just like I did for you. Be mean to them. Is it easy to do? No. Is it difficult to do? No, difficult doesn't even come close to to the level of difficulty. It is impossible to do. But with Christ, all things are possible. So big idea number one, know that you are loved in the hugest way imaginable. Number two, don't let your experience of God's love be blocked. Don't let that happen. Abide in His love. Number three, by abiding in Christ's love, you will find that your joy is full to the top. Number four, love others. Be Jesus to them. Then in verse thirteen and fourteen. <clears throat> Greater love is known than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So what Jesus I really love this. What Jesus is saying is, I'm laying my life down for those who obey me, those who abide in me. He's simply saying that if you're one if you're somebody who's followed my commands, then you are the one that I died for, that I'm laying my life down for. You're the one. He's simply saying that you're the one that all this is for. you he, he's saying you're my friend. This is Jesus' first time that he calls the disciples his friends in the Book of John. First time he uses the word for his disciples, right? And it's interesting. It's not just that he it's that he calls you his friend. You know, that's the most amazing experience is when Jesus testifies to your heart that you're his friend. It is so humbling because it just makes us say, Who am I? that God would want to be a friend of mine, that the Son of God would call me friend? Who am I that He would even look upon me, much less bring me into His presence and treat me like a friend and call me a friend? Look, I know people who would never accept me as a friend. Even ministry people, they're so established or vaulted or important that they would never accept me as somebody who they respect, a respected companion or a friend. Because to do that would devalue their persona. They're like stilted and built up and they don't want me to drag them down. And guess what? There's people that know you that you know they're like that also. They don't want to have anything to do with you because your life would drag them down. They wouldn't look so good if you were attached to them, if they called you friend. But you know what? Jesus calls you friend. And you know what? It's not a secret relationship like, oh, I'll be your friend when nobody's looking, nothing like that. He calls you his friend. He says it out loud. He lets it be known. He calls you friend and then invites you into his presence. That's what it says. I have called you friends. He is pleased to call you friends. It doesn't devalue His persona at all. But, you know, He doesn't testify this. He doesn't, you know, let Himself be friend to people who are proud or to people who don't obey His words, but only to the humble, those that follow his, His ways. You want to be called Jesus' friend? You want Him to call you His friend? Be humble. Follow His ways. And he will gladly do that for you. And I'll tell you, your heart will jump for joy. Because you know what? There is nothing sweeter than being close to Jesus. To know that He's pleased with you. To feel the light of His joy in your life. To be near to Him. To abide in His presence. There is nothing in this world that can come close to that. Nothing that comes close to abiding in Christ. If it takes obedience to abide in His love, then I'll do it. That is such a small price to pay. If it takes humility to abide in His love, I'm there. If, whatever it takes to feel His joy in my life, that's what I want. To know I'm pleasing to Him, to be near Him, I'll do it. That's what I want. I'll do anything. Because His presence is so sweet and wonderful. I don't deserve to be in it, in His presence, and I could never earn being in His presence. But now that I'm there, I don't want to leave. In Revelation 3, when Jesus was talking to one of the 12 churches the troops of Philadelphia, He says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar in the temple of my God. What does that even mean? Ah. Next sentence. And he shall go out no more. You get it? You're gonna be a pillar in the temple of God. You don't have to go out anymore. You can abide, you can stay in Jesus' presence. You can stay there and enjoy that sweetness, that fellowship, that life, that love. And you don't have to go out anymore. That's what he's telling the Church of Philadelphia. You'll be, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God and you won't have to go out anymore. You get a stay. Taste and see that the Lord is good. For all those who have tasted and experienced God's goodness and the sweetness of Jesus, to them, this world has just a little appeal. It's like lost its sparkle. All those really cool things, they're like, you know what? I could do without them. There's a really nice song by Fernando Ortega. You can, it goes like this. You can have all this world but give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You can take it all. Just as long as I get Jesus. Just as long as I don't have to be, you know, pushed out of His presence. As long as I can stay there, that's what I want. Whatever it takes to stay there, I'll pay that price. I want to stay. Will Will you be there with me? Will you stay there with me? Will you do whatever it takes to be there with me <clears throat> Verse fifteen No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. He's saying, Since you're my friends, I'm not going to hold anything back from you. You know, you used to be servants, but now you're friend you're my friend, and you know what? Friends tell friends things, and so now I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you stuff because I value you, I trust you, you're important to me. So I'll tell you everything that I know. I'm not going to hold anything back. So big idea, number one, know that you're loved in the hugest way imaginable. Number two, don't let your experience of God's love be blocked. Abide in His love. Number three, by abiding in His love, you're going to find your joy is full to the top. Number four, be Jesus to others, love others. Number five, by abiding in Christ's love, Jesus calls you His friend. And then even with all of that, Jesus knew that some of His disciples there would still be wondering, saying, you know what, I think He's talking to everybody else. I don't think He's talking to me. I don't think that this is about me. I think that it's all those other, you know, ten people, ten guys, I think He loves them, but I don't think I'm part of that. He knew there would be people who thought that. Right there, and probably here today too. Because it's human nature, and it's the devil's trick to make us doubt. Our relationship with God. So Jesus, even after saying all that, He went another step. Because He so wants you to know that He loves you. That He loves you. So to help this sink into the hearts of anybody who hasn't really gotten it yet, Jesus goes even further to show that He accepts and loves them. In verse 16, He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and produce fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in name, He would give you. He chose you. you. Oh, you think that you're following Jesus because you chose to follow Jesus? No, 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 that's not the way it works. <laughs> that, that is all backwards. The only way you could follow Jesus is if He chose you already to follow Him. You're just responding to His call. He chose you and he ordained you to bring forth fruit and that your fruit would be so Jesus brings them back to the very beginning to say, remember back then? You didn't choose me, I chose you, I called you. And then he, fa- he so he rewinds them all the way to back there, and then he fast forwards them all the way to the future to say, and you're gonna bear spiritual fruit. You're not there yet, but it's gonna happen. You're gonna bear spiritual fruit. In essence, he's saying, Look, I'm in this thing with you, don't so don't fear. I was with you at the beginning, I'll be with you at the end, and all the way through it, you're going to bear spiritual fruit. This is an ongoing, constant thing. He guarantees that they're going to hold on through this whole time. You're here because I wanted you here, and the end result of bearing fruit is going to happen because I've been with you from the beginning, and I'm always going to be with you through every step along the way. He guarantees them that they're going to succeed. What's the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Spiritual fruit. It all starts out with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Right? You you all probably know that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when those things abound in our life, then more fruit will happen and that fruit will be people coming to Jesus because they see the goodness of God worked out in our lives. Right? So that's just more fruit. And that's and that's and so it's like he's saying, Look, if you haven't got it yet, stop doubting about your status with me. You are on my team. Everybody say, on my team. You are on Jesus' team, because he handpicked you to be on his team. He said, I chose you and I ordained you to bear fruit. So don't fear, you will bear fruit. So the application is Jesus chose you to bring forth fruit. All you need to do is abide in Christ. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Just spend time with the one who loves you. He loves you. All you got to do is spend time with him. Then you'll have fruit coming out of your, ear, your ears. It'll be awesome. So the big idea, I was with you at the beginning, I'll be with you at the end, and I'm going to be with you all the way through, so you're going to succeed. So as, as you abide in me, you'll bear fruit, and then whatever you ask, whatever you want, just ask. It'll be done. So big idea, one, know that you're loved in the hugest way possible. Number two, don't let the experience of God's love be blocked. Abide in His love. By abiding in Christ's love, He will fill you with joy to the top. Number four, love others. Be Jesus to them. Number five, abiding in Christ's love. Jesus calls you His friend. And number six, Jesus is with you through the process. So don't, don't fear. You will bear fruit. And when you, when you when you put all of this together, the overarching thing over all of it is abiding is job one. That's the biggest job that we have. The biggest job we have isn't go here or do this or do that or speak this. No, no. the biggest job we have is abiding. Because if we're not abiding, then all those other things are stinkiness. Abiding is job one and it will produce fruitfulness in our lives just beyond belief. And if you abide in Christ's love then you have joy overflowing, you have friendship with Christ, you have answered prayer, you're bearing fruit, you're bearing much fruit also, what I'm saying is, abiding in Christ is the work. Abiding is job one. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Would, would, would the band like to do that uh, one song, that last song, one more time? Okay. So we're going to do a Good, Good Father. So we'll go ahead and pray as the band's coming up. And so Heavenly Father, we just come to you. We ask that you would just um, break through into our lives. You've shown us some things today for us to help us to abide in your love so we could be more fruitful, so we could have more joy. Help us to implement those things. Help us to experience the amazing flow of your love every day. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you that your love never fails, that you love us from everlasting to everlasting. We love you and we honor you. We ask that you would bless everyone here. We ask that you would just send waves of joy into every one of our lives as we we abide in Christ. We thank you for doing these things. In Jesus' name, amen.